There have been big tests the past two months. The first turnover for Gonzaga leads to a break for Yale. and he looks at the Gonzaga bench. Impressive performances against tough competition. And the Penn Quakers victorious over Villanova in some classic Big Five action. And signs that the best is yet to come. Mitch Henderson, after taking the Tigers to the Sweet 16 last year, wins a back-and-forth game tonight. Now, hours away from the start of conference games, it's time to play for keeps. And one expert thinks the Ivy League's as good as it's ever been. This league will prepare you for the NCAA tournament. Players who understand what their program DNA is are the ones who are still standing on the dance floor. In the Ivy League, that's what you have. This league is tough. It is strong. I'm Brian Seltzer, and let the march to the madness begin. This is Ivy Insights from the Ivy League, with new episodes dropping every two weeks. Season 1, Episode 8, Iron Sharpens Iron. Hello there, and happy 2024. It is about that time. Yes, we are oh so close to tip off of the 2024 Ivy League basketball season for both the men and the women. And so begins the next chapter in the journey to Ivy Madness and the NCAA tournament. Very exciting. A few weeks ago, in our episode titled Let's Hoop, we took a look at the state of Ivy League women's basketball. Since then, nothing about the narrative surrounding Ivy League women's hoops has changed. And in fact, you can make the case the narrative might have only strengthened since that episode. And we'll touch upon that a little bit later on. For this episode, we're going to take a look at the men's side of things. And to do that, we wanted to tap one of the most knowledgeable, enthusiastic, and passionate minds there is in the college game today. If you're not following him, you should. It is a must. From college basketball on Fox Sports, broadcaster and reporter, John Fanta. John, thanks so much for being with us. We're definitely going to look ahead to what's in store for Ivy League play in a moment. But first, can we start with a general appreciation for what Ivy League men's basketball has done in the non-conference slate? What stood out to you? Well, it's great to be with you, Brian. And and absolutely, the Ivy League is in a terrific place as a conference. You, know, you have a Princeton program coming off of a magical Sweet 16 run. They're 12-1. and one. They challenged themselves in non-conference play, and they beat several quality programs from Rutgers to Hofstra. You beat Furman as well. And then you go right down the line. I mean, I I look at Yale and I look at Cornell. I mean, Cornell is 10 and three and they have a top 120 Ken Pop. So when you look at at what they've been able to do, it's a team that they challenge themselves. You know, they might have got defeated to Baylor, but that's going to help them in the long run. To play a game of that caliber only helps a team. And uh, I think that that's a a Cornell group that offensively, Brian, is going to cause a lot of problems for opposing defenses in the league uh, when we get into league play. But I I really love what Cornell's been able to do. They got a great win over Colgate. You know, that's a a really good Colgate program, typically year in and year out. And what do we see in that one? Well, we saw Cornell really perform at a high level and get good offensive balance from guys like Sean Hansen 
and Chris Mannon and Guy Ragland Jr. came off the bench and supplied some shot making in that one. So I think Cornell is a team that's impressed me. You know, Yale is eight and six, Brian, as we do this podcast, but it hasn't come without them testing themselves and they'll be better in the long run. Uh, I look at Penn and that's another program that was able to have some good moments here thus far this season and is going to be very competitive in the Ivy League and is going to play a factor in this conference. So this is a league that that is deep, that has rich parity, that absolutely uh, belongs uh, at a place at college basketball's big boy table because you've got programs that know how to play and programs that have proved themselves here throughout the season while testing themselves. So just look at Penn recently playing Houston and Auburn. And before that, they took down the Mac favorite rider on the road. Uh, so this is the league that's put together some very solid results. Don't sleep on Harvard either and who they can be as the season goes on. The Ivy League's in a very good place. And uh, I'll tell you what, in New York, they're buzzing about the Columbia Lions because Jim Angles, one of the good guys in college basketball, is engineering a quite a turnaround at Levy and Jim. One of the old school hoops houses that I love going to. Let's go through some of the eight teams one by one. We'll start with Princeton as we tape this podcast. They have the best overall record in the conference at 12 and 1. I know they weren't forecasted by the media to finish first in the Ivy League this year, but based on how last year finished, the memorable run they had in the NCAA tournament, what they've done so far this year, their only loss, a really competitive game against a very strong St. Joseph's team. Do we need to consider Princeton the team to beat until proven otherwise at this point? Absolutely. It's a great question, and the answer is Princeton has earned that right. And how have they done it? Well, they're balanced. So offensively, they're averaging 78 points per game, and they shoot the three ball so incredibly well. I mean, they're, they're an efficient team, and they, take, they pass up good shots for great shots. They're averaging 10.5 made threes per game. They shoot free throws incredibly well. And when I look at this team and, and I look at who they've got, I mean, Xavier Lee, in my opinion, Brian, is as improved as any player in college basketball. He has taken a seismic leap, going from a guy that was averaging a couple of buckets per game to 17 points per game, shooting 39% from three. Caden Pierce is a fighter. He's tough. You know, he, he gets after it on both ends of the floor, rebounds at a high level with over nine rebounds per game. And at 14 points per game has impressed me. Matt Alaco, I got a chance to spend some time with Matt in the preseason and was so impressed by his poise, his maturity. Princeton has a great sense of who they are. They're going to get great shots. They're going to not turn the ball over, and they develop their talent. Mitch Henderson has done a gem of a job with the Tigers, and Princeton is the team to beat. The Sweet 16, when you go on a Sweet 16 run, what does it build? It builds culture. It builds a winning identity. That winning identity has come out of Princeton thus far, and I believe in this Tigers team to if they can get back to the big dance floor, they can make the Sweet 16 again, if not go a step further. That's how much respect I have for them. They're very close to my Fox Sports Top 25 rankings. 
You did a great feature on the Tigers going into this season, and I don't want to suggest that the cupboard was left bare after last year. You just named several student-athletes who came back and are key contributors, but still, withstanding the loss of three starters from a team that makes a deep run like that, I mean, that's not insignificant. Did you pick up on anything during your visit and time spent with the Tigers that might not surface in game film, in things that are outward facing like media interviews that could contribute to whatever secret Mitch Henderson has been putting in the sauce returning talent, but, but just a, an overall accountability there. Uh, there's not one guy that wants to shine more than the other. They all want it equally. They have great unselfishness and that's seen through their offensive numbers. You know, they're, they're a team with a great assist rate. They share the basketball at a high level. And, and I said it before, but they know who they are and they use that to the best of their strengths. So to me, what I noticed is I got to sit in on some individual drills and the guys were going up against each other in fun shooting competitions and in, in battles, rebounding the ball and putting it back. And you know, what stood out to me was how much they competed against each other, Brian, in those drills. It's a friendly competition. Yeah, it was intense. It was intense. They wanted to beat the other guy, but it's all for the betterment of who they are as a program. So I think what Mitch has done is he's gotten a, guy, a group of guys that are fully bought in that know that one guy can't win the game, that they need all five guys on the floor. But Blake Peters, uh, you know, uh, Darius Gagwasi, I got to check in with him in the preseason. I, I loved him as a person and thought he had a great sense of who he was. Uh, you know, Dalen Davis is another guy that's come on. Jack Scott, I got to visit with him. I was impressed with how much he just embraced who he was and what his role was on the team. You got to have a team that understands who everybody is. They do, and that's what makes them as good as they are. You alluded to this briefly. The Yale Bulldogs, they were picked to finish first in the Ivy League preseason media poll. Their record might not be what Princeton is at this stage of the game, but I mean, their non-conference schedule, this is something that James Jones does year in, year out. He schedules tough. And when you look at the likes of Gonzaga and Kansas being on a non-conference schedule, I mean, that's something that if you're a power conference high major, you say that is an impressive non-conference schedule. For an Ivy League team to challenge itself like that, how have you seen that maybe playing into the way Yale's preparing itself this year in a different approach that a coach might take depending on how they run their program? Well, that's James Jones. James Jones isn't afraid of anybody. He'll play anybody, anytime, anywhere. He's always been that way. And that's what I love about Coach Jones. He's done a remarkable job there at Yale. Uh, it, it's, it says a lot. And to me, you gain a whole lot when you play that caliber of competition. Because if you make the NCAA tournament, that's who you're going to see. At some point, you're probably going to see a team of that caliber. So you won't be overwhelmed when you've played them in your regular season already. Uh, to me, what stands out with this team is Danny Wolf has really uh, just taken his game to a whole new level. You know, he's gone from a guy that, let's face it, was was not used much last year. You know, seven minutes per game, a bucket a game, and he had 25 most recently in a win over a good Santa Clara program. You know, they're, they're a really well-coached program, and he goes for 25 and 13. A seven-footer from Illinois, he's a high-major type of player. And Yale's got that type of talent. They they always have. Uh, and, and Wolf's shooting the basketball close to 50% from the floor. But it's beyond him. You know, they what they have is, is, again, another team with really 
really good balance. Five guys averaging 9.4 points or more per game, right? So they've got a nice core of players. Uh, Matt Noling is a guy that's come on for them. John Pulakidis is another guy who I like. Uh, and I think they've got good length. I think they're a team that as the year goes on, you know, I want to see how they grow defensively. I think Coach Jones would tell you he likes some of the sides. Now can they be consistent in the Ivy League? But, you know, you look at them. Here's what I like about them, Brian. Sometimes people want to play really, really fast. And when they do, it leads to success. But the thing about Yale is their tempo, they play slower, okay? But because of their level of attention to detail, I think it's going to help them in conference play. And because of the amount of tests that they took, they went to Loyola Marymount and won. Not an easy place to win. They beat Colgate. You know, they beat Gardner-Webb. They beat Stony Brook. Stony Brook's improved. Um, I, I, They're really improved. And I'll tell you what, this Yale team is, is a good team that could be a great team as time goes on. I'm excited to see them play at Brown Tuesday, January the 9th on ESPNU. Talk about teams that enjoy playing fast. Cornell Big Red, 10-2 and two start before the game at Baylor the other night. That was their best start since the 1964-65 season. We've seen the Big Red get into the Ivy Madness tournament the last two years. It would seem this year they've done the non-conference component that they have positioned themselves to take a legit next step in their progression under Brian Earl. Absolutely, and, and they've done it. When I look at this team, I, I see a group that they complement each other really well. They don't necessarily have one outstanding bucket getter, but what they have is a really good core of pieces. And between Chris Mannon and Sean Hansen and Isaiah Gray um, and Nazir Williams as well, another guy that I think has come on for them, I, I love the way that this group can distribute the basketball and can score it. They're averaging 18 assists per game. So that's really telling. And and that's a testament to the coaching staff. That's a testament to who you've become as a program. You said it. They've had continual growth. Brian Earl has done a really nice job uh, with the Big Red and, and, and with building a program that can be consistent in the Ivy League. So to me, you know, I, I like the way that this group is trending. And I think that they're a group that when you've got four or five guys that can go and get you 15, and if multiple of those guys are getting that, that's what's leading you to success. And as much as, like, I can't wait to watch Yale play Cornell. You know why? It'll be totally different styles. So Cornell wants to take you. They want to run. They're 21st in the country in tempo, according to Kempom. Yale wants to slow you down. So for Cornell, I love their offense. I think for them, it's about guarding. It's become, It's about emerging defensively as the year goes on. But, you know, what I like about this team is, they're deep. I mean, Brian, they don't play anybody over 23 and a half minutes per game. I would say that there's only a handful of college basketball teams that can do that. They typically have to rely on one or two guys to play 30 minutes a game. I, I love what Coach Earl's done. He's built a group of selflessness, and they're a team. They really have some nice potential. You know why? You have to scout for them. You can't just pick one or two guys to stop. They got too many threats on that team. And even their supporting cast, guys like uh, Keller Boothby, 
and Guy Ragland Jr., you know, and uh, A.K. Okareki. He's a guy that's that's even given them some some minutes here and there. The point being, the Big Red, they're going to be tough because in conference play, you better have some depth. They've got guys. You referenced, John, towards the top, Columbia. Jim Engels, how has he gotten Columbia to this point where they're at in their development? Well, he's gotten them better offensively, more measured offensively, more in control of who they are. You know, Geronimo Rubio De La Rosa, I remember watching him earlier in his career. He, he wasn't always under control, but they've got him playing pretty under control now. They've got him shooting the basketball at, at a really high level. He's he's shooting 41% from three. So when you combine him and Blair Thompson, Blair's shooting 53% from three. They've got a nice combination of efficiency, and it's nothing flashy. Coach Angles is all about – he uses all five pieces on the floor, and he's got a group that's that's – more bought in defensively and just more bought in together. They've got a more more of an awareness of who they are. You know, Avery Brown plays 31.1 minutes per game because they use him defensively and they need him to to be able to create. You know, they they're going to use him to create for others. And what I look at as well is they've got a group of veteran guys. Right? So guys that have been around but guys that they've got four players with 24 or more assists on the season. So that tells me rather five, five players with 24 or more assists on the season. Jaden Cooper, uh, he's another guy as much as he doesn't always score, he does distribute. So another team, they distribute at a very high level. Um, they're a team that they rebound by committee. They don't have an elite rebounder, but they rebound by committee. Blair Thompson's leading rebounder, Josh Odunowo. Uh, is also performing at a nice level and giving them some good production. The six foot six senior wing with a couple of big games lately, he's gone in double figures, three straight games, Lafayette FDU and Fordham. And, and I think that for Jim Angle's team, you know, they're, they're a group, they're able to play a little bit more up tempo and they've taken good care of the basketball. So when you combine those two things, it's been nice to see them off to an eight and four start. Will the Ivy league bring a different level of test? Absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, but I think I, and something tells me uh, that this group is still getting undervalued analytically. And Levian can be a very difficult place to play. They, they, they had to win games in non-conference. They had to feel good about themselves again. And I think the Lions are feeling good about themselves. From the outside looking in going into this year, it might have been easy to write off the Harvard Crimson or not expect much from them. They were only picked to finish sixth in the Ivy League preseason poll. Well, guess what? Harvard has no time for your predictions. They had a really promising non-conference season going 9-4, and and they've got one of the most exciting young scorers in the entire conference. I asked John to evaluate the Ivy League's only 20-point scorer, Harvard freshman Malik Mack, and what type of lift he's been able to give a Crimson team looking to get back to the NCAA tournament for the first time since 2015. Oh my gosh, what a season Malik Mack is having. I mean, a freshman from Oxon Hill, Maryland, who has come into this program, and not only has he averaged 20.1 points per game, okay? So he scored the basketball at a high level. He's shooting 47% from the field and from three. You're a freshman, you're a first year, and you're shooting the basketball 47%? I mean, I almost just dropped my phone talking to you, Brian. That's how much this kid excites me. 
I love him. I, he's a bucket getter. He's a playmaker. He averages four and a half assists per game. You know, the, the, the ability of a freshman to come into a program and you pick your spots, you know, when you've got to score, but you also know when you've got to distribute, you know, it's hard. It's hard for guys to do that, but they've got one. They've got one in Malik Mack. He's having a sensational season and, and between him and, and Chisholm Akpara, who's averaging 18 per game, they have a great one, two punch. I mean, Akpara and Mack, they very well could be argued as the best duo in the Ivy league for, for all that they've done. And, and Malik, I'm so impressed with him, but I, I think when I look at, at coach Amaker's team, oh, the, the, the thing is when you're in close games in this league, you got to have people step up and Harvard guards well enough. They do. They're capable on the defensive end of the floor. I think for them, as the season goes on, I, I just, I'm excited to see how having an elite bucket getter translates when you get into conference play. Now, it's not going to start easily for them. They're at Princeton on Saturday, and that is a, a humongous game for them. But this is a team that that has packaged together some good results. They gave Indiana a game earlier this season. They beat UMass. They beat a Northeastern team that's, that's solid enough. They, they blew out Northeastern. It was not a game. And uh, they beat Holy Cross. And uh, Holy Cross went and beat Georgetown. So the point is, uh, I really like this this Harvard team, and I, I think that they're one to watch as the season goes on because you know that their surrounding cast will get better, and they've got one of the best bucket getters in the country in Mac. He is one of my best freshmen in America. I did a Fox Sports Top 10. He was number five. The Penn Quakers last season knew something about having a bucket getter in Jordan Dingle. Obviously, a huge offseason storyline in the league was that he decided to transfer to St. John's. Enter Clark Slackard. And he stepped in, in the backcourt, had a great start to the season. Unfortunately for Penn, he went down with injury in the game against the Houston Cougars just a few days ago. And now Penn is faced with this question again, much like they were after Dingle departed, where do they go next? So where do the Quakers at the most critical time of the year go now with Slackert possibly out with his ankle injury for the foreseeable future? Well, they'll need freshman Sam Brown to continue to step up. Now, he's a guy, he's averaging 12 points per game. He had 20 against Auburn. So when you score 20 against Auburn, when I think of Bruce Pearl's team, I think of defense, and he was able to overcome that. And he's been mostly steady. Houston limited him, but I'll tell you what, Sam Brown over the last three weeks, 16 points uh, on, on the 6th of December, comes back with 12 points, five assists, just one turnover against Kentucky. I mean, that's a really nice line against the Wildcats. Goes for 15 against Tower, goes for 14 against a good rider team in a game that that Penn came out victorious in. So, yeah, I, I think to your point, you know, you got to find it. It's it's hard when you have an injury to a guy like Clark Slackard who's having a, a great season. But between Tyler Perkins and Sam Brown, that guard duo is going to have to be able to get it done. And I think they're going to need what they need is they need some sort of a combo of an Andrew. Lakowski or an Eddie Holland the third to just tell them a little bit more. You know, I think that's the biggest thing for Penn is when you have a, a a marquee player go down, you've got to be able to piece it together. So I I look at this team and I think that they can maneuver their way through this. They're good enough offensively. You know, they are. They're they're just outside the top 100 in offense. And when you play a slower tempo, right? What happens is when you have a star go down, you can overcome it by the way you play. You know, it, it might mean that Steve Donahue 
has to play a little bit more scripted, what some coaches call, I got to be a football coach. I got to go in the huddle and say, here's what we're running. But I do think they've got enough, and I really like Brown and what he's been able to do for them. What about Brown, the program, the Bears of Providence? Could they be in the mix this year? Because I know their record on the surface might not jump off the page, but they've had a tough non-conference season with very close losses, some near misses. How do you see that experience for Brown playing into how things could be for them once Ivy League play begins? They're going to win Ivy League games because they're battle-tested. You know, you, you you go to Colgate on opening night and you, only, you lose by two. It's a heartbreaker. You lose by two to Loyola, Maryland tough way to start the season. Uh, but you're better off because of that. When you go to Stony Brook, when you only lose by one to Vermont, I mean, Vermont's still Vermont. They're a good program. They're tough, but yeah, and here's why. First off, Mike Martin is a really good coach and he gets his teams to peak as the year goes on and play better and better as the year goes on. But, you know, as much as you want to talk about what Mac has done, how about Keno Lilly jr. I mean, this kid is averaging over 19 points per game. He's been a bucket. You know, he's had 18 plus in the last three games over Vermont, Stony Brook, and, and Siena. So when you can play through Lily, and then you've got Nana Owusu Anain, who's having a, a very nice season for this team with 14 and nine, you've got rebounding, right? You've got some size. I think for Brown, you know, it's late game execution, but they know who they're going to give the ball to. They really do. But when you've played a lot of close games, it's tough. And if if Lily gets shut down, the offense sometimes can sputter. So I, I think for the Bears, it, it, it comes down to figuring out ways late in games to execute your stuff, be disciplined, and really become a team that understands that Lily's got to get the, the ball in those situations, but also that when you're in these situations, you use what you learned in non-conference play and you apply it to these games. You're going to be in close games in the Ivy League. That's what this conference is all about. It's battle tested. It's tough. Uh, but I think for for Brown, they're a team that they've got to just they can't let up what they've done by by looking at their record. When you start Ivy League play, you're zero and zero. You can reset and go from there. The biggest thing for Brown, take care of the basketball. Their turnover margin is negative. You got to take care of it in this league. These teams will make you pay if you don't take care of the ball. And I think, John, as we hear the stories of some of these Ivy League programs, some of them were and are expected to come in this year and compete for a championship or a berth in the NCAA tournament. Others have made great strides to now be in a position where they're in the conversation for Ivy Madness in the NCAAs. You can also then look at a program like Dartmouth, which might not be where it wants to be right now. But hey, there is a roadmap. We have seen other programs go through the rigors of the competition in this conference, and ultimately, with some patience and development, get to a spot where now they're right at the top. It's a process. You know, at one point where Cornell was, look at how they've built. Right? Brown will keep building. Their record right now doesn't fully reflect the team that they have. But yeah, for Dartmouth, it's going to be a journey. Uh, but but within that journey, you embrace and you understand, you know what the success model looks like. And Dartmouth was at St. Louis, had an opportunity to win. They were at Vermont. They gave them a game. They were at UAlbany. They were in that game as well. Like They've been in a lot of games. They'll be in games in the Ivy League. They're going to be a team that that 
they'll grow as the year goes on. But yeah, it, it is it's a league of hope because of the amount of parity. You can turn things around. You can you get to the Ivy League tournament. Anything can happen, and it's a clean slate when you get into conference play. But yeah, I mean for them, uh, it's yeah, Dusan Neskovic was really impressive early on with over 16 points per game and Brandon Mitchell day as well. I think for them, it's just a matter of finding more options offensively as the year goes on. But the point Dartmouth, they'll, they'll get better and better. Iron sharpens iron. That's present in the Ivy. Before we wrap things up, John, can I put you on the hot seat for a few rapid fire questions? Of course you can. Great. Here we go. Regular season champ. Wow. You can have a shared spot at the top if you want to. This is just the regular I'm season. I'm going with Princeton. I, I really, I'm going to go with Princeton. They're 12 and one. They've been the most consistent team. They're battle tested. I'm going to take the Princeton Tigers uh, to, to go ahead and, and come out on top with the Ivy League regular season championship. Which four teams are in the Ivy tournaments? Princeton, Yale, Columbia, and Cornell. I think that's a fair assessment. Team that represents the Ivy League in the NCAA tournaments. I'm going to go magical here and 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 go a little bit outside the box, but I think there's something to be said about Schiller Court at Levian Gymnasium. So I'm going to take the Columbia Lions to shock the world. If you will, won't shock our world because if you've been watching this team, you understand who they've been. I mean, they they've they've gotten off to a very nice start to this season. They're scoring close to 80 points per game. They average eight made threes per game. They're out rebounding teams. They're they're taking pretty good care of the basketball. I mean, it's it's a team that I, I really like, and they're at, they're forcing 14 turnovers per game. So there you go. They, we're supposed to make predictions, right, Brian? I'm going to take Jim Angles in Columbia to make history and win at Levian. A man who makes his takes with confidence and the knowledge to back it up. John, thanks so much. Brian, thank you. John Fanta, he is awesome. On Fox Sports, college basketball coverage, follow him on social media at John underscore Fanta. Time now for some of the top headlines making news around the rest of the Ivy League. Much like the men, Ivy League women's basketball with a terrific showing in the non-conference portion of the season, we're going to highlight some of the big picture takeaways as the start of conference play looms going into the weekend. Running through some of the numbers, you've got three teams with nine wins or more, four teams going to the first weekend of Ivy League action with winning percentages above 600. Six of the eight teams have got records of 500 or better, and one of the two teams that doesn't is a five-win Dartmouth team that only won twice in 2022-2023. That is some good stuff. The team perhaps with the most momentum going into Ivy League play? That would be the Columbia Lions with seven straight wins. Columbia's own Megan Griffith has her alma mater playing well. She's the head coach. Anytime you can you know, have a win streak, I do think that that should be acknowledged and celebrated. But honestly, you know, I, I feel like because the seven game win streak has been between the break, uh, it feels like we're just in a different part of our season right now. And and that's what I've, I've really loved about this team in particular is 
they've been looking at what's ahead of them and not what's behind them. So I just think every week we're looking at it as a new opportunity, you know, with the growth and maturation of this, of this group, seven games in a row has come, right? So we're just trying again to stay focused on what's in front of us and our responses to our adversity. And, you know, heading into conference play, always an exciting time of the year, right? There's, this is, this is what you play for. You play for, for January, February, and March. And I know this group is really hungry. I'm excited to see our new faces take to the league and um, dive into the challenges that that presents, but also the opportunities. And um, we're looking forward to getting starting against Penn on Saturday. A couple more numbers from Ivy League women's basketball from the non-conference season. 10 combined wins against the ACC, Big East, Big 10, and Big 12. Seven total victories against the Atlantic 10, Mountain West, Conference USA, and AAC. Six wins against NCAA tournament teams from last season, and three Ivies ranked inside the top 75 of the NCAA net rankings. Other Ivy women's basketball games on the docket for Saturday, preseason favorite and 10-win Princeton visiting Cornell, Dartmouth at home against Brown, and Harvard and Yale battle it out in Cambridge. To the ice, and I got to admit, I'm a little bit jealous. The Princeton women headed to Belfast this week for two games in Northern Ireland against Providence in what's being dubbed the Friendship Series. Princeton's ranked number 12 in the country. And how about this for a nice subplot? The matchups between Princeton and Providence will put two sisters against each other. Mia Cohen plays for Princeton. She's a junior, and her older sister Maddie is a senior at Providence. Another nugget about the Tigers to look out for senior Sarah Fillier needs just 19 more goals to become the top-scoring Princeton women's ice hockey player this century. On the mat, Penn Wrestling doing something it's never done before. They won the Midlands Championship last weekend. Seven members of the Quakers placed top 10 individually. It's another encouraging sign for a program that's ranked 20th overall in the country. Ivy Wrestling's got to wait a little bit longer before it steps into conference action at the end of the month of January. We'll end with a couple of Ivy League quick hitters. New Year's Day, history made in Toronto. The inaugural game, first game ever in the Professional Women's Hockey League. And wouldn't you know, two former members of the Cornell Big Red were factors. Downey Landry looking for the path to Solnier, and she scores! Welcome to New York, Jill Saulnier. That call from New York's game against Toronto, a 4-0 shutout win for New York and scoring that goal. It was the third of the day for New York, former Cornell Big Red Jill Saulnier. And also in that game, another Cornell player, Jamie Bourbonnet, credited with an assist on the fourth and final goal in New York's shutout victory. Lastly, we're going to give some love to archery, Columbia archery, sophomore Sydney Sullenberger and freshman Michelle Ahn. They have been selected to the 2024 National Archery Team for the United States. How about that? That's pretty awesome. Both Sullenberger and Ahn have past experience in the USA archery program. Columbia will have its first archery event later on this month. And that'll do it for this episode of the podcast. Ivy Insights is a production of the Ivy League. Our executive producer and master of information, the Ivy League's associate executive director of strategic communications and external relations, Matt Panto. Big shout out to our booking agent, JJ Klein, and a special thanks to John Fanta. 
Be sure to stay on top of all things happening in the Ivy League with the Ivy Insights newsletter. Just go to ivyleague.com to sign up for free. And especially because this podcast is relatively new, please do give us a follow or subscribe. Consider leaving us a rating or a review. It helps a lot, and we really appreciate it. I'm Brian Seltzer. Next episode comes out in two weeks. We'll talk to you then, and enjoy the start of the madness.